This week in the function room, weather forecasting, the original cloud computing. I talked to amateur weather forecaster Alan O'Reilly about his hobby of weather forecasting. He has his own weather station in his garden and from there he forecasts, he records data. He is an all-around weather enthusiast. I first met him when he was a guest on my RTE1 radio show, Colm O'Regan Wants a Word. He was a great guest then, but time constraints meant that I don't think we got to talk for the recommended daily intake in Ireland of Weather Conversation, which is two hours. But that's what podcasts are for, for things that are too long for radio. Alan lives in the county of Carlow in the southern midlands of Ireland, from where he observes all the weather that the weather can throw at him. For listeners outside of Ireland, he mentions Met Aaron, which is Ireland's meteorological service. Uh, we talk about the hot topic at the moment, which is, of course, snow drizzle, which is called grouple. We talk about not hearing the weather forecast anxiety, about being lost in the snow, the unbearable lightness of solar panels, and some of the small numbers that make a big difference in the massive maths of weather, and why it all comes down to dew point. Alan O'Reilly, you are very welcome to the function room, but I think people might not necessarily know you as Alan O'Reilly. They definitely know you by your pseudonym. Can you tell us what that is, please? Carlo Weather or the Carlo Weather Man, maybe. And Carlo Weather is on all social, all your local friendly social medias with quite the following. There's like 80,000 followers on Twitter now. And... First of all, tell us a little bit about Alan, the person. How did you get interested in weather? Then we'll find out what it is you do on Carlo Weather. But kicking off, tell us tell us about your weather history. Yeah, I suppose generally a love of snow is where it all started. Um, from from being a kid, right through, and never kind of grew out of it. You know, some people say they never grow old. Well, I or never grow up. I never grew up when it came to weather because snow was really my interest. But mainly, um, a kind of an interest as to why it might snow and why it wouldn't snow. Because you know the way you'd be looking at the forecast when you're a kid and you're thinking, yeah, it might snow and then it doesn't snow. Um, and you were trying to figure out why. So I suppose that was kind of always there and then as I progressed I, I, I've i always had kind of a logical mind I work in IT kind of self-taught myself IT from the time I was kind of a teenager so the internet then became kind of I suppose the big thing and weather is um, very accessible on the internet a lot of information um, so weather stations were kind of the next logical step to record my own weather data um, and then I set up the website and then I suppose social media came along and I started sharing my hobby, um, which it just is. A lot of people think it's my full time job, which I wish it was, but it's not. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really been an interest in snow that developed an interest into weather and then sharing that. And it's grown a lot. I mean, my knowledge of weather has grown a lot from when I started. Um, the Probably the real kick to give it an interest was 2010. Um, which is funny, I go into schools the odd time to give a talk and I, I realise in the primary school that nobody was born in 2010 when I'm standing in that room. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was a really cold. But my weather station recorded minus 17.7 that time, which was the coldest temperature in the country. Um, but because my website was updating every 60 seconds, people could see the temperature dropping literally by the minute, which kind of, like, I suppose, I, I, you know, everyone in Ireland always talks about the weather, but I didn't really realise the interest in it. And I ended up on, I think it was Jerry Ryan on 2FM talking about it. Um, and it kind of took off slowly from there. And then um, 
had been building. And then 2018, the beast from the east really had exploded after that because I was forecasting that about two weeks before it happened. So then people started thinking I had some deep kind of weird knowledge of weather <laughs> that I was able to foretell what was going to happen two weeks in advance. It, it, it's not, unfortunately, the truth. But uh, yeah, I suppose that's where the interest came from and that's how it grew, I suppose. And just, you mentioned 2010 and you mentioned 2018 as the snow events. Just to go back to that uh, childhood, Alan, young Alan, was there a formative snow or conversely a formative huge disappointment in the lack of snow on a particular event that, that pardon the pun, crystallised for you? Um, there was a few snow events in the late 80s when I was young. Um, I can't remember one, I can't remember the year. There's a photo of me uh, as a young child, probably around eight or nine, so probably 1989, 1990, um, covered in snow and looking very, very happy. Um, so I think that's probably it. But my, my memory as a child is looking out and watching the uh, the footprints that my father would have made in the snow and looking to see how quickly they could be covered by the falling snow. And then the other standout one is I used to spend a lot of time in my cousin's house and they were kind of small farmers. And we went out into a field and we got lost in the blizzard and we couldn't find ourselves our way out of the meadow. And the uncle had to come and rescue us out of the meadow because we were yeah. going around in circles in the snow. And we thought it was great fun for the first half hour. And then we started getting cold and wanted to go home. So they, those kind of, it's funny, I don't have a lot of memories that stand out in my childhood, but those two particular ones do for, for, for reasons of snow, I think. What I love about that story and those stories is that it's, it's kind of like a classic science story in a way. You're a child, you watch things and something about you makes you ask, well, why is it the way it is? Because snow is particularly chaotic, isn't it? In terms of, and as this is a maths podcast, we might dip briefly into uh, a bit, a few numbers just at the start. Like whether it will snow, where it will snow uh, is has so many variables and I think you mentioned there's there's one in particular that's quite crucial to it but even knowing a little bit kind of because I remember as a child because Ireland particularly because of the Gulf Stream is susceptible to very disappointing snow in inverted commas where you think it's going to snow it doesn't stick it doesn't come your way it the wind changes or it's hail or it's sleet or it's just very cold miserable rain um so it's been a lifetime, I suppose, the snow with the spark of it is like, how do I gain mastery over this chaos? Yeah, and that's it. And and the thing about, like, you know, as you said, the range. So where I live near Tullow, like Hackestown, Nakanana will be the locus high point. So we used to be always jealous because they'd get snow and we'd get sleet. And I was always like, why is it snowing in Nakanana? Because that's where my grandfather came from. And we'd always hear about the snow in Nakanana, but it was rain and tall or sleet and trying to understand that difference. And as you say, there's a few crucial things to it. So the one that I talk about a lot is the dew point, um, which is, yeah. is, is a formula. It's a maths formula that's used to calculate it based on temperature and pressure and humidity. Um and that formula will tell you the dew point, which is basically the, the temperature at which moisture will freeze is, is kind of a simple way of, of describing it. So you can have like the temperature could be minus one, but you could have a dew point of you know zero or very often what will happen is you'll have a temperature of two degrees and you'll have a dew point of maybe one degrees and it's sleet. Whereas you could have a temperature of two degrees and a dew point of minus two 
and it's snow and it's guaranteed to be snow pretty much um so that's one of the main reasons why i got my own weather station because you know when you're looking for the dew point the only way to know the dew point in your back garden is to have your own weather station because yeah and so what feeds what feeds into that then so in this equation obviously it, it's chaotic there's a million variables but you boil it down to yeah it some and you get close enough yeah it's mainly the the temperature um the barometer the pressure and the humidity at your location and at your height and height makes a huge difference on that so very often people would buy weather stations and they would tell me you know oh i need to you know calibrate the barometer why is why isn't it coming and i'm saying well it, it just for height so i tell people to wait until there's a nice big high pressure sitting over the country and the pressure variable is very little and then pick your nearest met station like for me oak park and carlo because you know my air and have a calibrated barometer and then you're able to set your barometer to that but then if you watch it as the temperature and as the te- humidity changes and, you know, the pressure changes, there can be a big difference between like 20 kilometres between your station and their station. So getting the local, local detail is what really was for me trying to see what it, what was the dew point in my back garden. So what was the chances of seeing snow in my back garden? It's funny, isn't it, that maths works differently in different places. But the equation is the same. Mm-hmm. The inputs change and therefore the output changes. So the so the dew point comes out of that. And if the dew point is low enough, yeah. uh, then, you, then you'll get snow. And that uh, it stops becoming as much of a mystery because presumably there's still variables. Yeah. But it's less of a mystery than it otherwise would be. You're mentioning the weather station and I suppose... You know, maths is about like equations and numbers and but then there's the experimental thing and you kind of you feed data in what's in a weather station. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things that people seem to think my weather station in the back garden tells me what the weather is going to be as where it only records what it has already happened. So the weather station is constantly recording and giving me live information and then logging it as well to show you the trends. Um, so it, it, it basically records all the variables at the moment. So the temperature, the humidity, the pressure, um, rainfall, if it's falling, wind, um, wind direction. Um, then there's UV, solar um, and solar radiation, which um, can be handy as well. Um, so a lot of it is a kind of a, it's a point in time measurement Um but as, as it changes then, so I suppose my interest in it will be from twofold. One is the current right now, what's happening, especially if you have a, a storm or you have snow approaching or, you know, you have something you want to see the live, what's happening. But then the graphs and looking at the trends um, in the weather station and looking back at each month and comparing month on month, um, then like the amount of visual representations that you can get out of that data now is like mind blowing, really. And it really can dispel the old myths of, you know, you meet somebody. Oh, that was a fierce wet month we had there. Well, actually, it was about average. And, you know, people have have a kind of a, a, f- a funny memory of weather events, you know, and, and very often, like, you don't want to be the one spoiling the story that, you know, the locals yeah. telling you, but the weather stats don't back up the story, you know, and, and you're the one that kind of has to go, well, actually, it wasn't as bad as you thought, or, you know. Was well, the classic difference between subjective and objective in that subjective remembers the peaks and troughs, whereas objective, you're providing them with an average and nobody wants averages, Yeah, do they? Averages are, are means are mean. You know, you're kind of spoiling it for them. Uh, recording the data and then doing the trends, do you extrapolate, like, do, do you feed that into 
probabilities or is that something that you'd you'd get from bigger organizations you know what's your understanding of like because uh, it's something I find it very hard to understand in general is like based on data that tells you what a thing is likely to happen and you can follow the graph and if the graph's going up you know presumably weather doesn't lurch as much as as you'd think you can kind of see like I'm a cyclist and I use the rainfall radar and it's pretty accurate because the you know I, I get it five minutes ago I watch the previous 10 sets of five minutes and I know how fast the rain is moving mm-hmm. and I extrapolate out to within fairly high likelihood give or take there's all this rain shadow around the motorway in Dublin the ring road in Dublin that seems to you know something weird weird happens there in terms of rain shadow but you can kind of extrapolate what um, do you forecast based on like extrapolating based on confidence intervals how would you describe it in terms of how how into the nuts and bolts of probability and that kind of thing do you get yeah so it's very interesting there's there's a new zealand developer that developed a local weather forecasting uh, tool that takes the weather models and then applies it to your own weather station and it does learn over time um, so, for example, the shadow. But what's kind of in my unique situation, my, my weather station's in what's called a frost hollow, which is basically a low-lying uh, part of um, the topography of the area near the river, on actually near the border of Carlow and Wicklow. Um, so the lo- colder air sinks in. Um, so very often my station would be that little bit colder than nearby stations. So this forecast that runs automatically um, using bit of software that was developed by a guy in New Zealand takes the forecast kind of low, the, the, the normal forecast GFS weather models we can talk a little bit more about that but it takes that big model data applies a little bit of a kind of a correction based on my data and then gives you a local forecast which is very accurate for 24 48 hours then as it goes along obviously you know you get the chaos in the models so most of my forecasting is done using recording reading weather models and and that's where the maths really comes into it because we have these super super computers now i mean there's computers now that are you know a whole data center a year ago a couple of years ago wouldn't have been what what it is now and they're basically taking in all the recordings from all over everywhere um and then trying to apply, um, I suppose, forecasting theories to that. Um, so the difference between, I suppose, what I do and what I, like everybody in Ireland looks at the weather forecast, right? But most people look at a app. They'll tell me they go to, you know, Windy or they'll go to YR.no or, you know, MetAaron or whoever they go to. But that's one model giving one forecast. So what I do is I look at all the models and then I try and apply a little bit of experience that I've gained over the years and try and look at them and say, well, okay, so for example, if we look at, say, next Friday, which is a week away, um, we have a forecast that some of the weather models are showing very heavy rain coming up, but not all the weather models are showing that. So if you were to have a barbecue plan for next Friday and you look at this weather model, you're probably going, lads, we need to cancel this. It's going to be a washout. As where I'm looking at the other world, well, actually you know what, let's wait and see because not the weather models aren't in agreement. And I very often share these graphs on my Twitter and and Facebook and and Twitter or Instagram and people kind of give out to me what, like they're they're pointless because they're kind of like spaghetti um, ensembles they're called and they're the lines that show the forecast. And for the next 24 hours, those lines are bunched really, really tightly, which means... Yeah, they all agree. They agree with each other. And then as you move through time, then the chaos comes into them. 
and they, they separate. But there's a trend. It's like that again, as you said. It's yeah. like looking at the means. So you're looking at the, the trends and you're looking at the means. So, you know, very often when we have a cold spell approaching possibly from the east or the north, you'll have some of the weather models will show it and then some of the others won't. So I'm const- I'm just not even looking at a single weather model. I'm looking at the assembles. It's the only thing I'm looking at because otherwise you're just going to jump from one extreme to another. Uh, very quickly, who are your go-to model sources? So you mentioned one, you mentioned one GFS. What are the, the main inputs for uh, data on weather? And also... How accessible is that for somebody starting off who wants to gain some control over the chaos, get, get control of their lives? So um, so the GFS is the global forecasting system, which is the American uh, model, basically. And then we have the ECMWF, which is the European Center for Medium Range Forecasting. So we kind of have the Yanks versus the Europeans. So very often we joke about the uh, the Ryder Cup of golf or Ryder Cup of weather because you'll have the American model against the European model. And it's very funny, the... The Americans hate when it comes to hurricane season and the European model is beating the American model because very often the European yeah. model is better. Um, not always. And GFS has been around a long time and it does it does have it. Definitely it's good. Um, then there's there's other models. There's the ICON, I-C-O-N. Um, then there's the French. The, the French actually are great at weather forecasting. They have uh, a lot of websites I use are French. And some people say to me, why are you always sharing images that have French on it? And I don't speak French, by the way. Um, but the, the French have, are great. So they have the RP A-R-P-E-G-E model and then they have the Arami model as well Um, and then the best weather model for just to interrupt just to interrupt with any particular reason why the French is that a historical thing like does it date from like Napoleonic times you know when they standardised the metre and standardised the kilo and engineering was they were the the centre of engineering standardization that kind of thing do you think it comes from that I think it might do you know what that's something actually now after recording this I'm going to have to go investigate a little bit more but I think so Um, but the the best of the weather models for Ireland is the Harmony model which Met Aaron have developed Um, and very often people think that I have some beef with Met Aaron and it's Carol Weather versus Metairn. I I don't at all actually I have huge respect for them and I use their tools which are Amazing. Like they've shared a lot more information over the last few years. They used to kind of keep it a little bit kind of in house, but they've shared more of it. But the Harmony model only goes to 54 hours. So it's really next two days. But if I want to know what's happening in Ireland in the next two days, my default would be to look at the Harmony models, um, which is produced yeah. by Medairn. But but they then rely on the European the ECMWF. So very often their outlook forecasts that you will see in the text on their website or you'll hear even on the TV or radio will be based on the ECMWF model's last update. And sometimes that can be a bit way out there. You know, it can change. Like, you know, the outlook forecast is only updated twice a day by Medairn. And that can have huge difference in it um, because they're relying on the ECMWF model. So it's about learning not to rely on any one model. And the other thing that I have a big advantage over Metairn is, is that I will talk about what might happen. So I will say, yeah. well, look, the weather models are trending to show a big cold spell coming in 10 days time. Let's track this and let's see. Um, as where if Aaron said there's a big cold spell possibly coming in 10 days time and it doesn't come well there's people probably with pitchforks going to be outside Glasnevin you know yeah and of course it you, you can work to get I mean it's not 
either or it's sort of instead of so they know when they come to you it's an ongoing sequence of data it has caveats you've no professional indemnity insurance people basically like any kind of risk thing so if i was making decisions um be it say if i was making a decision to cut 200 acres of wheat i go to met aaron for a particular confidence level maybe I go to you for a what if or maybe like contingency or I know I take I take what you have and I know that there are risks involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I combine in a way like yourself, I combine the two. Yeah, the two inputs and go, right, I'm fairly sure I can get the combines into the field for this. What could we stretch it to based on what Alan and Carlo Weather is saying, but taken with his caveats that come with that? I mean, it in in some ways, it's a good example of different types of data for different conclusions isn't it different types of i mean you have the same granularity but you do you do say like i'm i'm alan like i'm not yeah. you can't sue me no <laughs> you know? and, and and it's great when I actually you say that because i'd often get farmers around silage season that will say to me mate aaron are given a few good days um do you agree it's almost like they want that little nod to just yeah, yeah 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 right okay like i had a farmer only this week um, looking to know about silage for next week. And I'm like, no, it's looking a bit... And he was like, oh, I was looking at my air and all right. I didn't think it looked great, but I just said I'd check with you. So it's almost yeah. like they're looking for kind of a, a, a nuts, and, like, nuts and bolts. You know what I mean? They want a second opinion on it. But where yeah, a lot of yeah. them will come to me is is beyond the outlook forecast on my turn. So they want to know, like they'll often say to me, is there any sign of a good spell. So they're not looking for an exact forecast. They're just looking for, sometimes it's a bit of hope when the weather's been awful. They're looking for like that little bit of hope about, look, the weather models are showing it's going to improve in two weeks' time. So like we had the wettest March um, on record after the driest February on record. So I got a lot of messages um, from farmers, especially around the last week of March going like, Alan, come on, April has to give us a break. And I'm saying, yeah, actually, yeah. it does. It does look better. And and I think, to be honest with you, like I don't mean to make it sound more than it is, but I think a lot of that is to do with mental health and well being and trying to have hope yeah. and and trying to see because, like I I have a little bit of a farming background from when I was a teenager, like when I lived a lot of summers with my uncle and that, and like they live and breed the weather. It really has a detrimental impact on everything they do. Um, so you can imagine getting up every morning in March and going out to get wet in the rain to try and do what you do. Yeah. You know, it's very different to me sitting at a desk working and you know, I might give out, I can't get my walk in at lunchtime, you know? Yeah, and, but also they're like, do I buy feed? Mm. You know, well, do I need to buy, do I need to buy nuts or do I need to buy another yeah. few bales of silage? And, you know, you tell them, look, it, it, you, 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 I'd say hang on. Or, you know, but you, obviously you can't. There's only, you know, you tell them, look, within within the bounds of whatever yeah. might and could have and should have and would have, uh, I'd say you might be okay to eat for them, for the cattle in the shed, to eat what they have, and there should be a bit of grass by April the 5th or whatever, you know, yeah. a bit of sunshine or something like that, within the bounds of that. that that's um, it, a lot, because they're it looking is, to see, can yeah. they get the cattle out? Like, they're because they're, they're running out of, the, the, the pit, the silage pit is emptying and it's raining and they can't let the cattle out into the field. And they, you can sense the stress in their voice when they're asking you, you know? Yeah. You have a lot of data at this stage now. You've been going uh, 13 or 14 years. What, uh, what can you do with those numbers? Are you... Are you applying? Do you have the 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 gear, the equipment yet to apply any? I mean, it's sort of 
there's only so much you can look at weather from the past or whatever. What can 13 years of weather data tell you, do you think, for your hollow in Tullo? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, to be honest with you, years ago, I would have spent a lot more time looking at it. Um, but I think, I suppose, like everything, you kind of your interests move a little bit and adjust. Um, for me, it, it's generally the bigger bigger picture trend so looking at like a year now rather than a month so you're looking at a year yeah. compared to a year ago um like you get a lot of you know climate change deniers you get a lot of you know the climate change thing is i try to stay away from it to be honest with you Colin, because it, it, you know weather and climate are are two different things one impacts the other definitely um, but, you know, you, no matter what climate change you you kind of pick a statistic, somebody will find a record from 100 years ago that was worse, that there was a wetter month, there was a bigger yeah. bigger storm, or you know. Um, so the trends do help you. So if you can look back over the trends and you can say, OK, yeah, like generally we do get the same amount of rainfall every year. The difference now is, is that yeah. we're getting longer spells of dry and then wetter spells. So that's yeah. definitely something I've, I've, the data has shown me over the last few years, which I think is pretty clear. The, the, the kind of chaos of it and the because, it's, again, staying with farming, you know, um, the, the legislation about when to spread slurry is like, don't go near the field December, January, because they're the wettest months mm-hmm. um, or February or whatever. I don't know when you can start spreading slurry. It might be the first of March or first of February, first of March. But that's based on what, and again, 13 years, probably not enough, no. but you're starting to see hints of it. Yeah. Um, but we had like, we have dry Novembers now. We have Novembers, like Novembers, like a kind of a, like a dry monsoon sometimes. And, but it's chaotic, isn't it? And, and, and all you can do, I suppose, is at least map out the chaos. There are the little bit of extra chaos. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Like. Farming on a calendar date is madness in the last few years because exactly as you say, the seasons, like, I mean, everybody can see it's changing. So exactly what happened in February, we had bone dry. So we had land that was rock solid, bone dry. And we had slurry tanks, like, filling up, you know, so people had to get the slurry out. But then they put it on the ground and then we get monsoon rain. It washes that all off the land and into the waterways. And then we give out the water quality. You know, so yeah. th- there are definitely things that are going to have to change there. And I think, you know, you can be reactionary about the weather as well. I mean, a lot of people, like, I mean, I remember after 2010, everyone was going to buy a four-wheel drive because, like, around here, everyone got stuck in their houses for, you know, days or weeks and everyone was going to buy a four-wheel drive because, sure, you couldn't go anywhere in the winter if you didn't have a four-wheel drive. And then we didn't get any real snow for years, do you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. like, looking at individual events can really skew things, but the, the, the trends are definitely, and that's where the data for the collection of data for years and years and years. And the thing about it is, like, I don't have, like, 13 years in weather terms is actually a very short period of time. But, like, Medairn's record data for a lot of their sites goes back, obviously, you know, back to the 20s and even the 1800s, some of it. Um, but the amount of records that have been broken in the last few years on Metairn stations, mm. I mean, the summer stuff, the heat in the summer is really something. And I get so many people telling me, oh, this is all nonsense. I remember it was much hotter when I was a teenager back in the 60s or the 70s. And again, the stats just don't give any credence to that. Do you know what I mean? So it, yeah. the data is, is very interesting and it, it can be born. It can be really born as well. And especially, yeah. you probably know, I spend a lot of my time when I'm talking weather on the radio and, and numbers and radio don't really mix very well. Do you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. So, yeah. 
That's that's why I carved out this spot on a maths podcast where you can you can absolutely exult in in the numbers of it. Speaking of which, um, the you know the models, be they climate models or weather models, like they have, like we are approaching a time where computer power can solve, can start to approach to solve equations that are like just ridiculous because obviously it's a it's a massive globe. And it's full of different variables. Do you get a peek through your work over the 13 years into the a peek into the mind of God where you look at the complexity of the the maths, not necessarily understand what's going on, but just see the like almost like that I that um, those uh, computery films where the numbers are flashing past and you see the Latin symbols and the Greek letters. Are you getting a peek into the sheer... Because it isn't... It seems chaotic, but there ultimately is equations behind nearly all of it, unless you think it's a deity flick, <laughs> flicking a switch. Do you get that when... when Because you're you're looking at this a lot yeah. and you, you you have charts, you have simple... Not simple, but you have lines and you can... There's stuff up the x-axis stuff up the y-axis but just under the covers this absolute mill of really difficult maths and differential equations of the nth order do you ever see any of that i get an insight into it very little to be honest with you but i did computer programming in college for a couple of years um and i did the first two years and i came through it fine and then in third year there was a, a subject assembly language which just just finished me with programming, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> and sometimes when I tried to kind of look... Was it was it Fortran by any chance? No. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, I remember, like, just the assembly language just it was just like, you know, but it's getting in underneath. It's like you said, it's like I look at a weather model yeah. and I look at a chart that's been produced by a weather model that shows me the wind speed it's forecast. And I can slide a little slider and I can look at it. But when you start looking underneath what's producing that, to be honest with you, my mind's not able to um, kind of get my head around that. Um, and it's why I gave up on computer programming and went into kind of more general IT because it, I I find it very hard to accept something I don't understand. I um, and if I can't understand something, I need to move on from it or it'll eat me alive. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I know that. So too. that's kind of where that came from. But yeah, I mean, the weather model, like even some of the, like the ECMWF, um, you mentioned previously about how available it is. They've made a huge amount of information available now. Um, and it's all free to share as well if you're not doing it for profit, which is great because it used to be a bit restrictive about it. But like there's a few different websites like WX Charts website um, gives you a lot of the models very easily accessible. But the ECMWF does. And some of the like some of the maps are very easy to understand. But then you have some of the height anomalies and then you have kind of the longer range trends and trying to read those. Like there's a great one called the postage stamps, which is basically looks like stamps, but each one of them is a different run from the same model and it shows you. So we kind of look for a trend in the model stamps. So like even at that level, sometimes it can be overwhelming. So to be honest with you, to even think about the scripts and the stuff that's running in underneath in those supercomputers, yeah, I I can't even comprehend it really. To be honest with you, like I work in IT, I I I work for a company that has data centers. I, I you know I I I do a little bit of programming like scripting and stuff, um. But even for me, that's yeah, it's mind blowing stuff really. So you've made your piece. You're happy to accept the complexity under the surface, and you're sitting on top of 
stuff that's you're you're driving a car without necessarily um, looking at every spark plug uh, in in order or whatever. Um, a few more things um, with eighty thousand followers on Twitter and thousands more on Instagram. Uh, can I call you citizen scientist? I do feel a responsibility as a interlocutor between science and the public. How does that work for you? How do you feel about your your role? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one. Like the numbers of followers isn't necessarily a big thing for me, to be honest with you. I don't like you know the way some people get balloons and things when they get the num- certain number of followers on Instagram. Um, I, I'm I'm not really that closely watching it or anything. The only thing that's kind of become harder is um, the reference that people. So the media, mainly newspapers online, will take an individual tweet and write a story and add a headline um, to that. And and that's kind of made me shy away a little bit from what I used to tweet, to be honest with you, Colm. Because yeah. now when I'm getting into kind of a storm or snow or anything like that, I'd often have written a, write a tweet and then I'd be like, no, if I say that, they're going to splash that and it's going to scare the living bejesus yeah. out to everybody so that's probably the only thing that's changed really is the notoriety of it has made me a little bit more aware of like like I'm by no means a comedian uh, but sometimes I like to be a little bit funny as well you know I, I like to share like yeah. my picture of a 99 like weather update and it's just a picture of a 99 and it's not meant as yeah. anything other for for anybody outside of Ireland. Ninety nine is a is an ice yes. cream, uh, <laughs> not a weather update, but it is a weather update. Um, but I know what you mean. It's it's it mirrors what happens, I think, in media reporting of scientific results and the results of studies as well. Too, they go, okay, you can't eat red meat; it'll give you another ear in the middle of your forehead. You know, like they'll just they abstract stuff from what you do. They don't see the the run of the conversation that you've been having with the public yes. over that day or indeed over the last number of years. I can I can imagine that's, yeah, I know what you mean, because those articles and then those articles get shared on social media, on Facebook, for everybody to get angry about just to drive traffic and engage, engagement in inverted commas. And all it is is a mill. And, and the thing about it is in Ireland, like, no matter how much weather we have, they seem to want more weather. Do you know? So no matter <laughs> yeah. what weather has happened or come, you know, if there's a forecast says a big storm to hit Ireland next week, like the, the reach, if you look at the stats, the analytics, I did spend a bit of time at one stage going through just to look at the articles and to see the traction they got. And actually there's a lecture in, uh, well, I was going to say IT Carlo, now set to University Carlo, um, that uses my Facebook analytics. I gave her access to the Facebook analytics, the lecture, and she uses that to teach in our marketing uh, class to kind of show people how to use the analytics um, from Facebook. And like, it is really interesting, like what people latch on to and watch some and like yeah. sometimes I'll post something and you think oh I'm going to get loads of comments on that now and I'm going to have to keep an eye on it and there'll be no comments on it and then I post something that seems so minor and the next thing it blows up and you know like that's the only thing that annoys me on Facebook and that is is that people who don't follow the page but then the post gets shared and then they feel the need to attack me and I'm like, just just move on. Like, just, you know, just ignore it. Yeah. If you don't like it, just ignore it. Now, I've I've adopted a, a block and move on about three years ago, um, which has served me very well on Facebook in particular. Um, because yeah. you can... 
And it's amazing how you forget them. You think that, oh, I'm blocking them and I'm going to be thinking no. about them. But you don't. Your brain is going, okay, I've put that in a different area. Yeah. Uh, I might wake I might wake in the middle of the night worrying about them, but unlikely. No. Uh, so it does work. Um, so a couple of things. Uh, do you, as somebody who consumes loads of data and numbers, if you haven't been monitoring your instruments, if you haven't had... If you haven't been mainlining weather data for a while and are just like, I don't know, living life, do you get antsy? Do you feel a lack of control if the numbers haven't been coming into you? I, I feel a lack of control if I don't know what the forecast is going to be. So you go on holidays and like I do 90% of what I do on my mobile phone, a smartphone, obviously. Um, and I try, you know, try and disconnect when I go on holidays, you know, uh, like I only go on holidays one or two weeks of the year. It's not like I'm sunning off every week or anything, but... Yeah, if I don't know what the forecast is, I've, I've an awful kind of, I wonder what the weather models are showing, do you know? So it's more about, is there something coming that I'm going to miss? You know, yeah. I, I, I do have, and sometimes, you know, you'll be busy, I'll be busy with work, I'll be busy with other things, and I might have a quick glance through the weather models, and then I might see something somewhere and go, did I, did I miss something? And then they go back and go, oh, look at that. Didn't see the weather model showing yeah. that. So, yeah, so I do. I, I, Yeah, I suppose, I don't know what you call it, an itch maybe, yeah, that needs to be scratched. And yeah. It's, yeah. I picture you uh, returning to um, to your office with like a long sheet of paper printed out, green and white stripy paper that's been like, and then you're asking an underling, like, how long has this been going on? Why didn't you call me as the... The seismometer is heading, is going off the chart. So I, I that's that's the image I have of you now. So that's that's <laughs> that done. Uh, so I've noticed that you've recently got solar power, mm. and me too. And what's what's interesting about that for me, not necessarily weather forecasting, but again, numbers representing something. For me, it's a control over energy. Like I. I never knew how much a unit of electricity costed before. I wasn't aware of what appliances ratings were. But that sense, I feel like everybody, um, that we are approaching a moment of energy literacy Mm -hmm. in the general population that's kind of unprecedented, like electricity literacy. Where And I think it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, going back to climate change or inflation or anything like that, the... Knowing that everything is energy, like it, it's knowledge is power. Every decision, yeah, and power and knowledge of that power <laughs> is huge because, like, um, we talk about in terms of decisions or transport modes or anything, but ultimately, it's it's energy. You eat food and you cycle. That's that's a conversion. Mm-hmm. You dig stuff up, you burn it. You are able to move faster than you used to move two hundred years ago. And then solar, mm-hmm. free stuff from space converted into kilowatts like how have you found the because you've obviously been measuring uv mm-hmm. but now it's gone into the kettle how what's different for you yeah it's 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 very interesting it, it's hilarious that you that that the intro you gave to that piece because i five minutes before i came on this i was in a whatsapp group with a friend of mine who's an accountant and i've been telling him about the solar and he's like i just don't get it you know and i i done a little spreadsheet firm of how much it was costing me before i got the solar and how much it's costing me now 
And he was like, yeah, well, obviously I get the numbers because he's an accountant. But he's like, I don't get what a kilowatt is. Like, what is a kilowatt? Like, all these people yeah. are talking about kilowatts. So then I was trying to explain to him, like, a kettle is three kilowatts. So if a kettle's on for a full hour, that's three units of electricity. And he's like, yeah, but, like, I have this turned on, I have that turned on. Like, how many, how do I know what is using what power? Um, and it's interesting because I, like, I built my own house and I moved into it 10 years ago now. And it's pretty modern enough. Um, so I got a what's called an effigy unit to measure how much electricity I was using. I used to just have a little sitting in the windowsill of the kitchen. So if you looked at it and it said five kilowatts, I'm like, what is turned on now? You know, so I did have an awareness of it. Um, I got an electric car in 2014 when nobody was getting electric cars. I um, got rid of it soon after. But um, so I had day and night rate electricity. So like when this energy crisis, this, you know, cost of living thing has come like in my house until we got the solar panel it was like can I put on the washing machine no you missed the window now nope nope you're gone yeah. then yeah. it's not you know and then like I got I got locked into a good energy price last September so I have that until September so the night rate is really good so I've been literally trying to use all my electricity at night time so the solar like there's loads of interesting things about it but the main thing in my house column is domestic bliss sunshine is out you can put on whatever you want you can use any electricity that you like um but what's really interesting for me is again is looking at the data and looking at like i have the strings so i have an east i have five panels on the east i have seven panels on the south so i was looking at like at seven o'clock in the morning on a sunny day i'm already getting one kilowatt and then in, as the day progresses, the sun moves and then the south panels take over and then the south start producing more. So again, looking at the data and looking at the number of hours of sunshine and looking at the output of it, um, yeah, it's it's fascinating to watch it and live it rather than just watch it. Because um, an uncle yeah. of mine has had solar panels for a few years and he, he wouldn't be that techie and he'd asked me to have a look at it for him and I was kind of looking at it and trying to understand it. And he is a battery, so in the winter, he is night rate electricity. I was setting it to charge the battery at night rate in the winter, so then he was using the cheaper electricity during the day. And that was pretty much all I had kind of looked at it. But now that I'm actually living it um, and I yeah. see that you're exporting energy to the grid and you're looking around the house going... What can I turn on? What can I do to use electricity? <laughs> you know, which is complete yeah. opposite of where we were before I we know. got the solar. Uh, and it's, it's funny, like the being aware of something and living it is something you could apply to mathematics as well, too. Like it's, it's when it's abstract and it's numbers, you don't feel it. But I, I'm looking at like it's funny yesterday. So we're recording this on the 21st of April 2023. Yesterday was the sunniest day of the year so far absolutely blue mm-hmm. skies and everybody is looking at this parabola of solar power on their give or take obviously the sun moves around and some panels are facing different mm-hmm. directions but for the first time you're looking at like the parabola of almost first of all it's a sphere it's a you know a sphere moving around a sphere so you get that mm-hmm. shape anyway but it's also like normal distribution it's like yeah. You know, that shape that we see in so many things in average temperatures mm-hmm. or in rainfall or the behavior of people. I'm I'm going into kind of pseudo nonsense now, but but again, graphs like people are looking at graphs that would have wouldn't have looked at a graph yeah. in their lives before because they're kind of living this um 
and you're, and it's from the sun. I, <laughs> it's our orbit of sun, you know. But it was uh, so perfect yesterday. A, like I, I installed an app yeah. on my Apple Watch so I could add the solar to my watch. So every time I looked at my watch, I could yeah. see the amount of power generation. And at the end of the day, it was such a perfect arc, as you say. It was, yeah, yeah. it was the perfection day for solar. It really was yesterday, actually, yeah. Tell me, what what's, uh, just wrapping up now, what's very exciting about the future of what you do? What are you... Are you waiting for something that's going to come on stream in 2025 or a piece of equipment that you're going to install or information that is going to be available that wasn't available before? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, it's funny. Like, there's not a lot that happens very quickly in the weather sphere, you know. Um, Like, new updates do come out to the weather models. The GFS had a nice update on their weather models, and the European model had a big upgrade last year. So there are upgrades that come along, but... It's kind of like the weather people hype them up and then it's, you know, it's like when you get a new software update on your phone and you think like, you know, oh, an update and then they've moved something. You know, it's it's yeah. it's like, oh, that's a bit of disappointment. So, yeah, there's, I, I suppose my only thing that I look forward to um, every year is next winter because <laughs> I love winter, you yeah, know, and... Get taken back yeah, to snow. Yeah, so I, like... It's terrible thing to say, but I hate sunny, like hot days. I'm just not built for them. Um, like I have a solar panel on my head because I've no hair. Um, I got really badly sunburned in my late teens, like really badly. So I have a fear of sunburn. Um, so yeah, it's it's really odd. And don't get me wrong, I like nice weather. I like getting outdoors. But like people say to me, "Oh, you go hiking?" Yeah, I do in the winter, and they're like. Really? And I'm like, yeah. I said, like, I go up Lugnaquilla when it's like minus 15 wind chill and there's like two foot of snow. Don't ask me to go up there in the summer. I'm not going to enjoy it. There's going to be flies eating off me. I'm going to be sweating. There's going to be a lot of bees at the top. I'm No, I'm just, you know, so it's funny. But don't get me wrong now. I have found peace with the, 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 the Irish sunshine. I can handle most of it. Like it's only when we get over 30 degrees. That's when I really panic. Like we started um, doing supping during the pandemic. We got um, the supping board, stand up paddle boarding. So we go in the river barrow. So once I'm near water that I can dive into and cool off, I'm in a happy place. Um, but if I'm having to work and it's 30 degrees, I'm not in good humour. And then like, it's not that you're trying to create a persona, but you're trying to be happy for people on Carlo Weather. So you're trying to post up there. It's going, oh, it's a lovely day. It's going to get up 30, 30 degrees today. And I'm thinking <laughs> yeah, about... you bastards. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. oh, God, this is going to be horrible. Like, you know, but, you know, we don't get it that often. But you have your solar, you have your solar panels now. So, so now you're uh, being torn in a new direction. And uh, so hopefully they will be able to make your peace. You know, at least uh, while you're broiling inside... Something's happening, True. something's stirring. And finally, finally, is there something you've never been asked about? Uh, anything esoteric or nerdy that you'd love to share with the world or a thing that is, um, you know, not, you know, in Michael Caine style, not a lot of people know that. And uh, you'd like more people to know. Does anything spring to mind? It, it was grapple. Grapple was a thing. And then we had it a couple of years ago. Um, and then everybody kind of started talking about it because I started mentioning it. Um, so it's probably not really a secret anymore, but it's kind of snow drizzle for those that don't know. Um, and I just think it's a great word and I think it's a lovely kind of different type of weather that we rarely get. And uh, yeah, I suppose more weather terms, like if, if, if uh, yeah, if we could try and bring more real weather to people rather than, the, I suppose, the normal uh, it's damp and wet and stuff, you know, um, but grapple, I think, is, 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 a, is a pretty good word. And that's G- how do you spell G-R-A-U-P-E-L. that? G R A U P E L. 
Okay, and it presumably, from the sound of it, comes from a place where they get enough different types of snow and variants of snow to have lots of different yes, words for it. Yes, yeah. I think it's German. I think it comes from German, yeah. yeah. Somewhere, somewhere high up in the Alps, Probably, no doubt. Probably, yeah. Okay, so we can find you on Carla Weather on Twitter and is it Carla Weatherman on... It's just Carla Weather on all of them, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, yeah. Carla Weather on all three, you'll find me. Very good. And uh, I won't ask you for a forecast because, sure, it depends on when, when this goes out. Whenever people listen to it, it mightn't apply and then they'll be ringing. He was wrong. They'll be on to you saying, he was wrong. Um, well, if you're going to be wrong, what a way to be wrong. A great topic to be wrong about on the weather. And uh, best of luck to you with your forecasting but it's not luck it's 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 all data and thanks a million for coming into the function room Alan O'Reilly aka Carlo thanks Alan thanks very much that was Alan O'Reilly there okay that's the function room for this week if you like it please share it and give it a review with the star rating of the third smallest prime number and second super prime first safe prime first good prime the first balanced prime and the first of three known Wilson primes I mean five stars that's what I'm asking for uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Colm O'Regan or the podcast itself at Function Room Pod until next time goodbye <laughs>